When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. In today's episode, we discuss the pros and cons of Messi's magical run in Major League Soccer, as well as catching listeners up on what we've been up to. It's been a few, it's been a while, and we also talk a little bit about uh, Welcome to Wrexham season two. My name is Christopher Harris. I am joined by Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, what have you been up to these last, uh, like, I think it's been about two and a half weeks, maybe three weeks since the last episode. I know you've been busy, I've been busy, but what have you you've been up to lately? Yeah, so I've been kind of all over the place. I was up your way for several days, but you weren't there when you're going to talk about that with the listeners in a minute or two. Uh, and uh, ha- ended up doing media ops uh, at a cricket tournament, which was uh, kind of interesting. Um, and it reminded me once again that there's a whole segment of uh, of uh, people from the UK, uh, or from England in particular, from England and from the West Indies who view soccer, uh, football as their second sport or third sport, and they they prefer cricket, uh, which is something I, I often forget being so in the kind of soccer vortex. Um, and then uh, uh, published a, a book about Florida and the American Revolution. Um, and unlike the book I published earlier this year, which was kind of just an overview, uh, skim, uh, skimming through a topic of about 200 years of colonial Florida prior to the American Revolution, this is a very detailed book, uh, which I think is probably the most comprehensive book that at least I know of that's been written about what happened in the American Revolution in what is now the state of Florida, much of which happened in your area, hence why I was up there in St. Augustine, Jacksonville. Uh, and what is now Nassau County, Fernandina, Yuli area. Yeah, definitely. So I, I've had a chance to listen, uh, to actually read uh, a portion of the book so, so far, but maybe towards the end of the episode, Kartik, we'll talk about that in more detail as far as where, what, what's, what it's called and where people can find it. But um, but like you said too, I, I, I was away. Uh, I went. I took a week off and went to, to Wrexham. Uh, went there on assignment and uh, did some stories for World Soccer Talk and, and did some interviews. Um, some of that's been published already on, on uh, worldsoccertalk.com. But I'll have some more uh, probably details coming out this week, maybe a, a podcast episode uh, talking about Welcome to Wrexham Season 2 that's coming up on September 12th. It's coming out, um, the actual pr- premiere on FX. But I mean, there's so much to, to talk about as far as kind of some of the things I saw there or kind of experienced just being there for a week. Um, 
the the thing that that for me is so different that I really love doing when I do go there, which is not that often, but when I do go to the UK, is I love going to motorway service stations, which is basically <laughs> uh, rest stops uh, or rest areas on on you I mean kind of the, the American equivalent on major highways. And the reason I love going to motorway service stations is you mean you pull off the road, you want to take a break, you get get some breakfast or, or get some to drink or eat or or just uh, you mean take a break from the road is on a Saturday going to a service station and the one I stopped at was I think between Oxford and Birmingham in England so kind of uh, you mean close to central England but what happens is that you've got people from around the country going all sorts of different directions some are going to the south some are going to the north and at a motorway service station you pull in on a Saturday morning or a Saturday early afternoon. And there were so many fans from around the country. So I saw Liverpool fans. Uh, I saw uh, Wolves fans, Brighton fans. I mean, you name it. You see, you see a ton of, uh, you mean, families wearing the scarves, the shirts, and they're all going different places. They're all going to different games. And uh, one conversation I had with uh, a couple of Brighton supporters, just, you mean, just just talking, like, and, and they were talking about, you mean, I was saying, like, you guys are right now, to me, are the blueprint for Premier League clubs in terms of how well the club is run. Um, I mean, how great the fan base is. I mean, the the smart decisions they're making in the transfer market. But most importantly, like how well they're playing on the pitch. Uh, and just having those conversations at, completely at random with fans from across the country. And I was thinking to myself, like, you can't get that in the US. I mean, the US obviously is so big, so so spread out. But it's not as if you can pull into a rest stop or a rest area or a service plaza and have a conversation or have many conversations with soccer fans at random. What about you, Kartik? Have you had similar experiences at motorway service stations in England or Great Britain? Yeah, and it's also um, something I've experienced in train stations in England in terms of... uh, being able to talk to other football fans, talk about their local clubs, talk about Chesterfield, talk about Scunthorpe, talk about uh, their local communities and what their football clubs mean to them. Um, and by the way, uh, if you haven't been to a motorway uh, service uh, plaza, it is amazing. It blows away the service plazas on the Florida Turnpike or the Ohio Turnpike, uh, blows them away. Um, and uh, uh, Costa Coffee, I think, is superior to Starbucks. So that's another uh, another plus of those motorway service stations. Uh, but yeah, um, it's also something I understand is very commonplace um, uh, at rest areas and service stations in uh, Germany and in Italy. I haven't actually experienced it that myself, but that you, you run into other uh, fans, etc. Kind of similar, um, quite frankly, if you go through the Atlanta airport or O'Hare uh, or Dallas, DFW, uh, on a college football on a Friday before college football Saturday, you see everybody in their team colors, and 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 it's it's really kind of a neat thing, even if you don't like uh, American sports, American college sports that much. Uh, this is similar when you uh, stop at motorway rest areas. Yeah. So for any listeners who are thinking about taking a trip to the UK, 
to go see some matches or, or to go there on vacation or whatever. Uh, if you do get a chance, if you're there on, on a Saturday, just stop by a, a random service uh, uh, station and, and you're almost guaranteed to have conversations with fans. Um, it, it's really eye-opening eye and it's something quite different, right? Because the country's not as big, not, not nearly as big as the US and, and that's something you're able to do. So from personal experience, um, Kartik, this, I, I thought this was really interesting because I think, um, I mean, this is the, the main topic for the, for the show this week, and, and that is talking about the, the Messi effect. Um, I really find it fascinating for many different reasons. But being in Wrexham for a week and uh, being on, on assignment to report on Wrexham firsthand for World Soccer Talk, I was able to really kind of like dive deep into what's happening within British culture and uh, even news and entertainment and just talking to, to, to fans um, from around the UK. So, so being on the ground there for a week uh, in England and Wales, it was interesting to see what impact uh, Lionel, Lionel Messi is having on the UK population. And the answer is this, there is no effect at all. I mean, this is partly because with the kickoff times of, I mean, usually 7.30 or 8 o'clock Eastern time in the U.S., those games are starting after midnight, sometimes uh, after 1 o'clock in the morning, U.K. time. They don't end until the middle of the night. So the impact of Messi, the, the Messi effect or Major League Soccer or MLS season pass in the U.K., to me, is absolutely zero. I mean, there's zero discussion of what's going on and or how he's helping major league soccer there's nothing in in the papers nothing on television so coming back from from that trip to the uk um you mean kind of switched on twitter and that was every, every that, that was everything that anyone was talking about was messy i mean i was going through my twitter timeline i mean everyone was talking about it and, and it's just interesting in terms of being on the u.s shores and how all of the discussion is focused on Messi, uh, almost 100% of it. So much so that um, I think in some ways it's a little bit over the top. I mean, yes, he's a fantastic player. It's an incredible story. He's doing so well. Um, but I have to wonder, like, how has Messi changed Major League Soccer in a very short time? But before we get into that, Kartik, I, I know, I mean, you watch soccer from around the world. A lot of it is lower division soccer also but but what's been some of your uh observations maybe in the last month uh with the messy effect have, have you experienced it firsthand at all a little bit you, 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 and it's a south florida thing when i talk to people and say i tell people what i do for a living it's like oh well now that's big down here uh because of messy right and and uh irrespective of everything else but i've noticed um Maybe we should cut it some slack because it hasn't had the mainstream penetration I had hoped it would, which is, again, I don't want to get too deep into it. Chris, and you took a beating on this, so I really don't want to get too deep into it. But why I thought MLS needed to really make an effort to sign Neymar, because I thought that that would uh, augment Messi and, and help break through. But in fairness, the Women's World Cup was going on. That's what mainstream news cover it, covered. And then with the Rubiales situation after i was shocked uh, chris you know a week after the world cup ended i turn on cnn for the news and they lead with whatever you know the political news is but then 10 minutes into the newscast it's okay well let's bring in christine brennan to talk about this situation with spain and their women's team and their federation and so and and same thing when i watch cbs news it, on the nightly news it, it it came up so that they were talking about soccer but because the women's world cup was four weeks long and then had this 
kind of two-week news cycle attached to it because of the Spain situation, I think that kind of hurt Messi breaking into the mainstream. Now, um, the, the Spain situation, though not resolved, I think is not as newsworthy anymore, although you were in the UK for a week while the UK media was really fanning the flames of it, I think partly because England had lost this made in the final. But um, I feel like with a US Open Cup final coming up um, and uh, Inter Miami headed to the MLS Cup playoffs, uh, a big win over uh, Kansas City last night uh, without Messi, without a number of internationals, actually. I, I think that maybe the mainstream media um, they only have the capacity to cover one soccer story at a time, right? You know, this isn't the NFL or um, one of their sports they're accustomed to covering and covering as news. I feel like it might still have its shelf life now that the Women's World Cup is over and the controversies over the Women's World Cup have begun to fade. Uh, maybe that's an overly optimistic take. But yes, uh, Chris, I would have to say to this point, outside of kind of the MLS bubble where it's been great, don't get me wrong. It's been fantastic. Um, and then some local impacts here in South Florida, it has not had the effect I had hoped it would. Um, but again, uh, I stressed the Women's World Cup was going on, and that's probably the reason. One of the measuring sticks that you and I use privately, Kartik, sometimes to gauge what the mainstream is, is really interested in is how, ma how many television interviews requests we get. So in the last 12 months, I mean, you and I, I mean, actually the last 15 years, you and I have done many, many uh, interviews with, whether it's, I don't know, Fox or CBC or BBC or, uh, I mean, you go down the list, like all the different kind of top broadcasters, being sports, et cetera. And we've done many, many uh, TV interviews, uh, News Nation, uh, Fox Live Nation, all these different news channels. In the last 12 months, what were the two hardest stories that we kept on getting requests for to do TV interviews for in the last 12 months? It was the uh, Grant Wall passing and the Women's World Cup. And in fact, uh, CBS, uh, CBS radio uh, station in San Francisco had me on twice uh, toward the end of the Women's World Cup. And I actually asked the producer if uh, they were going to be covering Messi, just, you know, kind of felt like I had to do my duty. And it was like, oh, yeah, maybe in the future. But it was basically a no. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, it's been those two stories. Grant, oh, well, yeah. I guess Pelé also. Pelé's passing did generate some uh, interest. But it, it would have been like basically the number of requests we got would have been number one, Grant Wall, number two, um, Women's World Cup. And then number three was uh, Pelé's death. And I did get one request about Messi. Oh, actually, maybe two requests about Messi. But I'm, I'm, I've been surprised because mainstream media, I mean, they, they basically, in the interviews that we did uh, with them, I really kind of had to educate them in terms of what was happening. And they're like, oh, wow, I, we didn't realize that. that. That's interesting in terms of, you mean, kind of the, um, that when Messi's going to all these stadiums, it's going to be sold out stadiums. Now, on, on a local level, so if you're in Chicago, if you're in New York, or you're in Miami, or you're in Houston, or whichever city it is, and if Messi is coming to town, that's a big story in that market. Um, the big one recently was the LAFC into Miami game, and and mostly because of I mean what an incredible game it was, but mostly because the celebrities came out to it, so that became a, kind of a, a news angle. But we didn't get any interview requests about that. But I, I think. That one is probably more of it's making inroads more on social media 
than it is on traditional media. I think on social media kind of blew up in terms of Selena Gomez or Leonardo DiCaprio or all the different stars that were at that game. So I, I, I think it, it is interesting that um, it hasn't had the impact in mainstream me- media as much in the U.S. It certainly is having a major impact in terms of ticket sales, uh, MLS season pass subscriptions, merchandise, and then just people talk, just social media people talking about it. But it hasn't yet impacted that that mainstream media. Um, and I'm wondering what's going to have to happen for that to be. I mean, I think partly, I think really, Kartik, just thinking about this right now, I think partly having all the games on streaming is probably holding back that breakthrough. Because, you know, I mean, if these games were on linear television, I think it would be easier for mainstream media to come across it, to watch it, and to to realize how big of a story this actually is. Right to that point. Last night here in Messi's home market, if you turned on the television and you were looking for, uh, and you had to cl- cut through like eight college football games going on at once, it's ridiculous. In fact, I noticed every single major network, at CBS, NBC, uh, Fox, and ABC were all showing college football games in prime time on national television. So that's, you know, you have to compete with that. But if you were trying to find a soccer match on television, it was a USL match that was on linear television locally. Uh, and um, you could, you, if you wanted to watch Messi, you had to sign into Apple TV. And um, a lot of it is conceptual, right? A lot of what we say is theoretical about, oh, well, um, it's much easier to find games when they're on television. It's, you get more casuals watching. Uh, you have to be really motivated to, 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 to seek it out on streaming. But then this was case in point for me. Um, I decided because of the television I was at, just to go ahead and watch the Miami FC game, which yeah, I'm motivated to watch anyway. That's that's the team I support uh, against Detroit in USL, which was on um, a local uh, uh, Channel 33, rather than um, watching the um, uh, turning on the Apple TV box and going through the rigmarole and watching Inter. So um, it does have an impact. There's no question about it. Yeah, this kind of a... It's tough though, too, because Major League Soccer, I'm sure, probably said, probably thought to themselves, like maybe if we put a couple of these games on television, maybe that'll give us more, more reach, uh, more awareness, will get us uh, more people kind of thinking, like, oh wow, look what I'm missing. I, I could be watching this week in, week out on MLS Season Pass only if I had MLS Season Pass. Um, however, at the same time, Major League Soccer is trying to get as many subscriptions to MLS Season Pass because they're incentivized to do so. And and we've seen the impact this week. There was a report in the Wall Street Journal uh, using some some data available uh, through kind of a third-party um, analysis company. And um, it showed how many people were subscribing to MLS Season Pass based on their metrics in the U.S. And we saw in February and March when MLS Season Pass launched, there was definitely definitely a spike. I mean, it's new people coming in or, pe- or even regular fans, I mean, kind of legacy fans wanting to find out how to watch the games. And it's, so they're subscribing in the beginning. And then from April, May, June, it flatlined. And, and, and that's something we had a podcast on a few months ago. And we talked about the plateau. It, it's just, I mean, nothing was happening. And at that time, we said, okay, the only thing that could actually make a difference here uh, is either for next year, changing the format <clears throat> completely and you mean getting rid of the playoffs or doing something dr- dr- drastic 
or signing Messi. And then July, Messi signed. And then we saw that, according to that research in the Wall Street Journal, that on the day that uh, uh, Lionel Messi played his first game for Inter Miami, available exclusively on MLS Season Pass, they had 110,000 subscribers in the US, which is fantastic. That's great numbers. Um, I mean, and his second game too, didn't have as many as that, but possibly maybe maybe 40,000 or maybe 50,000 signups on on those days. So um, it is interesting. I mean, there aren't that many games left in the season. I think in the regular season, Inter-Miami has, I think, about eight games left uh, in the season. And then hopefully they make the playoffs. And then, and then, and then, then at that point, then some more of those games uh, should be on on uh, television, at least um, to that mainstream market, that mainstream news to actually make that happen, to make make that kind of break through to the next level. But so, Carter, if we kind of think about the pros and cons of what is essentially at this point is it's not MLS, it's not Major League Soccer, it's Messi League Soccer, because so much of the focus is on him that the rest of the league, and this would be a con, <laughs> this is a con of uh, Messi joining MLS. A con is, is that the rest of the league is practically insignificant. And I, I don't mean to, I mean, no disrespect, but so many people are watching, to, signing up for MLS season pass, first of all, to watch Messi. They're not signing up to watch the whole league. They're not signing up to watch all those other teams. They're signing up to watch Messi. And I've run into random people in the last couple of weeks uh, after coming back from uh, from Wrexham, I mean, just at random, and people saying like, oh, yeah, 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 I, I subscribe to MLS Season Pass just to watch the Messi games. And so that is one, I mean, definitely a con of that is that the feeling I'm getting, uh, and you can see that from the reporting in terms of how, mu- how many stories are being written or how much focus is there on the rest of the league or the rest of the teams or the rest of the players. And it's practically practically nothing there's very little discussion about that uh, it is i mean the hope is that you mean floating boats you mean kind of like raise raise it up for for everyone but uh i'm not so sure about that what about you Kartik? what are some of the pros and cons of uh, messi joining mls that you've seen thus far that uh, in your analysis and observations similar to yours and i would say one of the other cons from a perception standpoint is we have some incredible, and I think this is part of the reason why MLS is is in the place it is in terms of competitiveness. Uh, You have the middle of the rosters in Major League Soccer that have been filled out by a lot of young players from South America in particular, but also some young players from Central America. You've seen uh, better scouting in Africa than than you used to see. and um, because what had used to happen with MLS, quite frankly, um, and I don't want this to offend people, but uh, they were signing a lot of guys from outside the United States who were brought to them by agents and their scouting wasn't actually very good. And the middles of middle of the rosters weren't built out the way they needed to be. So I think MLS is much more competitive now because they've got so many young players. Uh, they got multiple young players right now in the league that I think will be moved on and be very successful players in Europe. You just had the sale of uh, a very good goalkeeper, one of the best goalkeepers in the league to Chelsea where um, he is going to be the number two as of now. Um, and, and, and so there are really good stories um, in MLS's integration to the global football, global soccer market that are completely being ignored and lost. And in fact, I think 
the messy thing. Unfortunately, Chris, I, I hate this because it's not true. And this is a perception that MLS worked really hard to change. Uh, but this talk of, oh, well, you know, MLS is just a retirement league now. That started again. And I think the league had done a lot to push back on that. So that's really, to me, the biggest con. And maybe that's being in the soccer bubble and hearing the perceptions of MLS, which had evolved, change, revert back to where they were when Beckham signed or, or, or other points in time. Um, and then I would say the uh, other con, similar to you, is that there's a lot less attention on other, other sides that are doing really, really well. This having been said, I think one major potential benefit is I've complained for years that, in my opinion, outside of the first few years of MLS with DC United, which I still think was arguably the best team in the history of the league, the Bruce Arena uh, and early Thomas Rongen teams in DC from 96 to 99, and then possibly the Galaxy, uh, again, under Arena, there have been no super clubs in this league. I mean, even when Houston, San Jose slash Houston were winning championships, they weren't particularly good in the regular season. They just do well in the playoffs every year. Um, I think Inter-Miami gives MLS the possibility of having a super club, and they have the right manager in Tata Martino. He's already having an impact, right? Even when Messi comes off the bench, like against Red Bull, or, or doesn't play, like against Sporting, um, you're seeing the, the Tata effect, right, with that team. Um, I think this is one potential positive, and we won't know this for a couple of years, but maybe MLS now has that super club that they've lacked through the years. And I know they talk about parity. I know they talk about competitiveness. I know they talk about, oh, you know, the, every game matters, and, and there, there's this, this competition that you don't get in other leagues. All of that is just fluffy rhetoric, which is meaningless. You need super clubs. You need something to hitch casual fans. You need a club for people uh, in other cities to hate admire begrudgingly but hate and maybe inter miami is that club so let me ask you this though carter because I, I was going to mention that that was going to be one of my cons is that uh inter miami is undefeated since uh, messi's joined joined uh you mean the club you mean has won you mean all of its games that it needed to in, in the league's cup to to progress and some of them go into penalty kicks in order to win it to win the title they're in the U.S. Open Cup uh, final. They're in the league. They're undefeated. Um, the only team, the only team that has come close to really, I mean, kind of basically causing an upset has been Nashville. Twice. And Nash Nash twice, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and Nashville, to me, it's a lot of it comes down to the coaching in terms of tactically the way that it's set up. I mean, some good players too, definitely, uh, no doubt. But but in terms of the way that the coach is actually setting this team up to to be really well organized. So, but going back to the super club thing, in the DC United years, when they were the super club in Major League Soccer, uh, in its early years of MLS, I mean, what was their records like? They had to have lost games, right? It wasn't like they were uh, undefeated or winning every game. I mean, at, at this point, it doesn't seem to be any team that's going to be able to stop into Miami at this point. Yeah, so the first season, Tampa Bay was actually better than D.C., and D.C. Uh, got better as the season went on and then beat uh, the uh, Rowdies. What were they called? Um, the Mutiny, thank you, which was a stupid name. They should have been called the Rowdies. Um, they beat the, the Mutiny in the playoffs. But then 97-98, they were really good. 98, they win, They don't win MLS Cup, but they win the Inter-American Cup. They win CONCACAF Cup. Uh, they beat Vasco da Gama in the Inter-American Cup. 99 
uh, they were the best team of the league. But there were losses in there. I do remember in specifically a match where uh, they went to the Meadowlands and uh, and uh, Metro Stars put three or four goals up against them. So they weren't winning every game. That, that is a good point. They had, uh, I think in 98 in particular, which was a year they didn't win the MLS Cup of those four years, they did have a ridiculous points total. And then actually I should say the same thing about um, 2005 to 2007 DC United, even though... I think 2004 to 2007, even though I think they only won the MLS Cup once in that period. There was one year, uh, and this is the disadvantage of the playoffs, and um, I'm going to say this, uh, 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 preface this by saying, hey, uh, if you're listening, our good friend Taylor Twelman, don't get angry. Um, DC United were so much better than New England that year, and they were like 20 points ahead of them, right, in the regular season at one point. Um, but because the MLS system is designed um, the way it is, uh, in the playoffs, D.C. lost and New England ended up winning the Eastern Conference because of the, the design of MLS. So this is the thing we have to remember, Chris. Even when teams are unbeatable in the regular season in MLS, oftentimes they get tripped up because of the playoff system. So that could still happen to Inter-Miami, even though they're winning everything right now. Even though they have one, they have two draws, right? The penalties against uh, the match they won on uh, Pens against Dallas and then uh, the uh, league match against the uh, yeah, it was a league match against Nashville. Yeah, um, they this could happen in the playoffs because now that I we're talking about DC United, there was the one DC United team that ran away, were far and away the best team in the league under Peter Novak, and um, they were so far ahead in mid July that they had nothing to play for for three months, and then you know look what happened in the playoffs. So yeah. that's a problem with MLS. That's true. That's true. And, and it is one of the things that, I mean, they've won Leagues Cup already. They're in the final of the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, we'll play Houston. And then, um, I mean, they have they still have to make the playoffs. The way things are going, they will make the playoffs, so they keep on winning. Yeah. Um, and, and I could see them going all the way. I mean, yes, in terms of the way the system is set up. Um, and actually, I think in the playoffs, uh, it's the best of three. So in the early rounds, so there's a, there's a good opportunity. It's not like kind of a, a knockout round. I mean, a single game elimination. So even if they do slip up and and you mean tie a game or, or or lose a game, there's the opportunity for them to still progress through to the. This next almost round. happened. Now that I think about this, this almost happened in 2007, the year Beckham signed, but also Guatemal Blanco significantly signed for Chicago, and they were terrible when they signed him. They were one of the worst teams in the league. And remember, they started winning once Blanco came in. Um, for those of you who were following MLS at the time, and then they made the playoffs, and then. I think in the first round of the playoffs, they knocked out DC United, who would have the best record in the league. And then um, I think may have gotten unlucky in the Eastern Conference Finals against New England, if I remember. I have to refresh my memory. But that that was a similar situation where there was this elite foreign player that got signed in the middle of the season. Uh, Blanco is not messy. I'm not pretending he is. Although Blanco had a kind of a big effect on crowds, if you remember, because he was... Uh, one of the biggest Mexican stars, and we know how that drives audiences in the U.S. And all of a sudden, Chicago, who had been a joke of a team um, at, at that point in the season, became uh, the team to be. So um, this is a oh, – you know what? It happened in with Seattle when uh, – um, uh, oh, gosh, why am I bucking on his name? Uruguayan player signed in the middle of the season. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm getting old. <laughs> Chris, help me out. The uh, the the the, the Uruguayan star for uh, Seattle. 
I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I 2016, I can't 2015, 2016. Uh, Lorraine, mm. the, 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 the uh, Nicholas Ladero, okay. when, when he okay. signed. Yeah, uh, Seattle uh, were terrible actually in, in the league at that point. They go on a tear, they win MLS Cup. So it's happened before. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, so the pros definitely is that MLS is making a shed load of money from ticket sales, MLS season pass signups, merchandise, and sponsorships, right? I'm sure in terms of uh, on the, all those ad breaks that we get uh, watching MLS season pass, that they're, I mean, those those companies are paying top dollar as well as other deals that have been done, shirt sponsorship deals. I mean, you name it. I, I do feel, I do worry about some of those other clubs in MLS though. I mean, if fans are watching these games with Inter Miami, seeing how, how good they are, how entertaining these matches are. And then, I mean, whether it's LA Galaxy fans or, I don't know, Colorado fans, uh, you mean Toronto fans kind of watching their product and going like, okay, how is our team so bad uh, in this league or so underperforming compared to kind of Inter Miami, which was the worst team in the league? What I do hope it hap- uh, happens is that um, the uh, the league owners start spending some more money, or the league starts spending some some more money on some big time players too. Because I mean, they can create some other super clubs in this league. Um, Neymar, I, I thought was a bad move to even try to get him. Thankfully, he went to Saudi Arabia Pro League, and he'll retire there. And I'm, I'm sure, and, and that's it. But um, I'm sure there's other players out there too that that they can bring in that. Uh, would be star players. I mean, but there's, even, there's, no, there's no, there's, there's no one that's going to be the same, same as Messi. But at least there's some other, others out there that could move the re- needle. But even consider me as a test here. So several weeks ago on the podcast, I admitted for my own personal reasons because of what they did with the stadium and how they haven't honored the legacy, etc. I haven't, I hadn't watched Inter Miami ever play a match, on, uh, with the exception of the two, two times they played the club I support, Miami FC, a USL club. Uh, in the U.S. Open Cup. Now, suddenly, even on this podcast, I'm rattling off results to you, what happened in the matches, what happened at the end of the game against Red Bull, what happened in the Dallas game in the League Cup. Suddenly, I'm watching that team, and I'm not really watching the rest of MLS. So even with me, it's happened. (laughs) So... well, it's it's funny too. Even with me, it's happened too. So, so I've been a big fan of uh, MLS 360. You mean since it began? I've been watching it almost every Saturday night. Last weekend, uh, Inter Miami played on Sunday against LAFC. So Saturday night, I was like, you mean should I even bother watching MLS 360? And I watched <laughs> it for a little bit, maybe like like maybe twenty minutes. I'm like, this is so boring. I mean, it's just nothing going on. It's just like you mean it's just I mean it's just not the same. So, so yeah, I, but but that's the big. I think that's the biggest pro of all of these. So it's gotten people like us who normally would be watching. I mean, tons of lower division soccer or European soccer or soccer from South America around the world. And oftentimes by a Saturday night or a Sunday night, I mean we're we're tired from watching. A, I mean, a whole day's worth of soccer, and then maybe maybe we're not watching the MLS games. We're watching USL or or. or taking a break, watching a movie, whatever it may be. So it's gotten us to watch um, MLS season pass more specifically Messi and into Miami. But the the biggest pro of all this is that I believe it is creating more soccer fans in this country, that there are more people now all of a sudden, and it could be the, the parents of the young kids that are wearing the Messi shirts, or it could be just, just sports fans in general. They're like, Hey, let me check out this, this Messi thing to see what the big deal is about. And when you do watch the games and you do see the level, I mean, 
I mean, this goes without saying, but in terms of the technical skill, the creative skill, just just how good of a player Messi is on the field. I mean, just I mean, you can't take your eyes off him in terms of what he's doing. It, it is so entertaining to watch uh, him play the game. It's not just the free kicks. It's not just the goals he's scoring or the assists. But you can just watch watch him up and down the field in terms of just kind of the, you mean, with his back towards goal, you mean, kind of those simple passes or those touches or his positioning on, on the field. You mean, we can go on for days about that. But um, I think that's the biggest thing is in the funnel, there's a lot more sports fans coming in that are like, hey, look, yeah, I'm getting into the soccer thing. I, I, I'm watching Messi play or I subscribe to MLS season pass. Um, and that 110,000 people that signed up on that uh, first day of uh, Messi's game, that was just US only. Now, I don't think there's a lot of people signing up uh, overseas outside of the US to watch Messi. A lot of it because of uh, time zone issues. And then, in, in, and then in South America, I think there's, there's a ton of people that are watching these games uh, illegally through streaming. Um, I mean, it's all over the place, easy to find if they want to find it. But I think in terms of the US, this is creating more soccer fans at the end of the day, which is fantastic news. And, and that's something I think we can, we can all agree that we do definitely want. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Kartik, anything else you'd like to share uh from this past couple of weeks, anything else that's uh, on top of your mind that you want to share or discuss? Well, pasta coglu and Spurs are, but uh, maybe that's safe for uh, another podcast. But uh, I just want to say, and maybe it's because I'm just so annoyed by the U.S. men's national team uh, fandom and, and even a player like Matt Turner saying, oh, you know, I wasn't going to get a fair chance at Arsenal because there's some bias against American players. Pastacoglu is Australian. There was so much skepticism about him as a manager, right? Uh, he had a glass ceiling he had to break through, which you know, which, which exists for American players and coaches, exists for Japanese players and coaches, uh, Korean. I think those are those four nations I always kind of link together. Man, I, I mean, we, we I we could do a forty-five minute podcast me explaining to you Spurs tactics and how incredibly. 
uh, refreshing it is to watch and kind of the overloads they're causing. I'm not saying they're going to win the league. I don't think they will, obviously. I, I think maybe they'll struggle to be in the top four. Uh, but there is uh, a, I think there is a change in football coming in. For years as Americans, we've wanted our own distinct style of play, right? We wanted um, a, a, a manager or a style that, that was distinctly American. I think, uh, and maybe it's just because he happens to be Australian, but I, I'm seeing in Pastacoglu's style something, an export from Australia that's like, okay, that's, that, that's imp uh, imposing a style of play and something really entertaining and something really effective uh, on the world of football. So, um, yeah, that's that's a conversation for another podcast. But I could go on for 45 minutes about Spurs and, and the overloads and how he's using Madison, uh, how, how he's using Sar. And, uh, uh, but that this isn't the podcast for today. Yeah, one of my cousins who is near the Wrexham area uh, was just beaming about Tottenham Hotspur. He's always been a Spurs fan, and he was just like, just... I mean, just over the moon in terms of just uh, I sat I sat with him and watched the uh, the Bournemouth against Spurs match, and you could just tell by just looking at, into his face and seeing him smile so much how happy he is and, and how much of a relief this is to see a club that's actually playing forward thinking football rather than I mean Conte ball uh, or, <laughs> Mourinho. He, he, yeah, a Marina ball, ball too. So, um, but yeah, no, it's been a good season so far in the Premier League. I mean, I've I've been really impressed um, by Steve Cooper and the the job he's doing yeah. at Nottingham Forest. Really, kind of elevating that club more and more into hopefully kind of a, a permanent stay there in the Premier League. Uh, the Man United against Arsenal game. What a game that was in terms of the ending of that. Just uh, incredible scenes there at the end. But um, and then NBC. Pretty much same, same old, same old. The, the one thing that has changed is the studio set. Yeah. Uh, so that that looks more modern. That looks better. That looks um, it looks like the same studio, but just actually uh, a different uh, kind of window dressing. Do so, you like the Do you like the stand ups? I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. So so for listeners who may not know, so I mean, usually they're always sitting at the desk talking back and forth, and now at halftime and post match, you see that the three of them usually. If it's Tim Howard, Rebecca, and one of the two Robbies uh, standing up and, and discussing that, and I think that's good because um, it's different, right? <laughs> I, 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 what about you, Carter? You like it? Yeah, it is different. Maybe eventually it'll become kind of the same old, same old because the content hasn't really changed, um, and uh, there's still uh, stuff missing in terms of analysis. I feel like in uh, um, in that show. Now, this having been said. Um, I've now been kind of turned on to the Robbie, Robbie and Robbie, uh, what is it called? Two Robbies podcast, because it seems like the stuff, it, it may be that, uh, Earl and Musto, uh, are holding things back in the studio or just the format doesn't lend itself to, uh, deep dive analysis, but they're actually quite good and quite analytical on that podcast. Um, <laughs> but it's stuff they don't give us in the, uh, in the NBC uh, or USA studio, which frustrates me, but now I've had to augment their studio coverage with that podcast, which I, I, I recommend. I should have checked it out years ago, quite honestly, because they plug it every week on NBC soccer coverage. But I've started listening to it regularly now, and it's quite good. Yeah, and being in the UK for for a week and watching uh, BBC Match of the Day, just see that deep dive analysis. I'm like, wow, this is something we're not getting with NBC Sports in the US. However, I mean, like BBC Match of the Day, it's I mean, it's at uh, ten o'clock or ten twenty five 
UK time after a busy day of soccer. So they've had, you mean, hours and hours to prep to get that analysis done, to do the editing. And and these are things that watching that show, I'm always learning things or seeing things that I wouldn't uh, see otherwise if I was watching NBC Sports. So maybe it's one of those things that, I mean, they did have a match of the day program back in the day on NBC Sports. It was different. Um, and maybe, I, mean, I think with maybe cutbacks or just less programming now than they had before, but maybe there's, there's room for an opportunity for like a, like a Sunday show that goes into some of the, the deep dives, maybe picking up some of the things from the two Robbies, putting that into a show. Maybe, maybe that's something that NBC uh, Sports should consider. Yeah, and something I am concerned about, uh, we've talked endlessly about the college football coverage and how it might impact uh, soccer coverage. Uh, it is not affecting the match windows, as, as uh, one of our listeners wrote in and told us. Uh, that is absolutely correct on NBC, specifically. Um, not getting into even CBS or Fox uh, yet. But um, it does, I think, affect the post-game show. Already seeing that the last two weeks where – um, you know, there's a goal zone or whatever after, and it's just like uh, uh, it's 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 rushed, and then there's a college football game on after. So um, yeah. that's something uh, we're gonna have to watch as the season goes on. All right, listener mailbag. First up is Daniel, and Daniel has a question for both of us, Kartik. Uh, Daniel says, "I know I, I know who Chris supports, but what about Kartik? Uh, is it still Manchester City?" And also to to both of you, if you could support multiple clubs. Who are those clubs and why? Yeah, it's still Manchester City, although um, I've had my uh, qualms about the ownership. I've had my uh, real dislike for uh, them going into the Super League. That really probably impacted my fandom more than anything to the point where the rest of that season, which was a season City won the league, I, I didn't care. Right. And they were in a Champions League final. I really didn't care. Um, th- I still support them, but. Uh, honestly, I my my sentiment um, and big part of me still supporting them is okay. If they don't win the league, it's going to be one of these other five big six teams, all of whom I dislike more. So um, I still support City. I still follow City, but I really um, also focus on a number of other clubs. QPR, uh, I watch now more regularly. I am a kind of long term legacy Stockport County fan. Uh, and they're back in the football league as of last year. Uh, they almost got promoted. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't. They almost got promoted to League One. So I follow them. I follow their results uh, every week. And whenever they're on ESPN Plus, watch them. So uh, those would be other clubs. And honestly, uh, sometimes it's just stories that captivate me. You mentioned Steve Cooper and Nottingham Forest. I'm watching them closely this year. And like I think everybody else who loves good football, we're watching Brighton really closely. Yeah, definitely. And and then, yeah, for me, it's... um. So I've I've gone to maybe uh, like maybe a four or five Bundesliga games, and when I've gone to Germany, I'm like, okay, all right, guys, just just I mean, I, I want to find a Bundesliga club that I connect with, and it hasn't happened yet. I've gone to the stadiums, I've got watched the, a lot of the the games. Um, none of them Bayern Munich, by the way, or, or Borussia Dortmund, but but some of the other Bundesliga teams, and I haven't found that team that really connects with me. Same thing with La Liga. For a long time, I was like, with La Liga, I'm like, okay, there's got to be a team that really speaks to me, that I, I feel like a connection with, that I'm, I can I can kind of support as, as a second team. Um, my first team being Swansea City. I haven't found a La Liga team that connects with me either. So, um, so I'm just right now a, a solo club supporter, 
Uh, I know. I know. Looking on Twitter, sometimes like like some of the people that do respond back to us, some of them have like about ten different teams they support based on their hashtags in their in their bio. I'm like, wow. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just still my boyhood club, Swansea City, um, since the 1970s. So in Germany, I, I've gone through the same journey, and as, as our listeners know, I watch a lot of Bundesliga and really feel connected to the league because of 50 plus one. Heidenheim, in its very early days, Heidenheim might be that club that finally speaks to me. Um, yeah. Newly promoted Heidenheim. So let's see how the season plays out. Yeah, for me, I, I think one of these days I'll have to get to a Hamburg game or a St. Pauli game. But those two clubs, I, I definitely feel a, an interest in. But still have not. I mean, again, I have to go to it, experience it, learn about it, and and see if there's there is that connection. So we shall see. Uh, all right, moving on. Drew has a question for us, or actually a comment about MLS. And Drew says, as usual, uh, the gaffer is on the money with his comments about uh, Katie Witham. Uh, she's been crushing it uh, consistently for years. Yeah, and she is really, really good. So what one thing I did notice from her. From a couple of weeks ago, she was like, uh, oh, my gosh, there's like a sold out crowd, an amazing crowd. And I'm like looking in the stadium. There's like so many empty seats. Like So sometimes she might she might overdo it a little bit, exaggerate a little bit. But for the most part, she's really, really good uh, sideline reporter. To me, one of the best in the business. Leagues Cup. Uh, Brandon says, hi, I've got a question about if you know the origins of the Leagues Cup. Uh, who came up with the idea? I ask because an ESPN reporter claims that the League's Cup was a was an imposed on was imposed on Mexican soccer. Thank you. Yeah, so this, as far as I know, Kartik, I mean, this was, I mean, it d- definitely was a joint announcement by Liga Mackies and Major League Soccer. Um, but if I had to. Make an educated guess in terms of who came up with this idea and and who uh, brought it to the group. Uh, this feels like a, like a soccer United marketing product from Major League Soccer that goes to Liga Mackey's the president and say, "Hey, we've got a great idea for something radical here that's going to help you. It's going to help you uh, generate more income. It's going to help you generate more fans in the U.S. and uh, it's going to be a win-win for many different reasons." and uh, that's my take on it. What's your feeling on this one, Kartik? Yeah, exactly the same. That's my understanding. Okay, Steve Chen wants to talk to us about the Bundesliga. Steve says, Bundesliga versus La Liga was an interesting uh, discussion, but in the US, I think ESPN is likely to push La Liga over Bundesliga due to language, the, the number of Spanish speakers versus German speakers in the country. I love the Bundesliga, uh, though. Chris says, uh, based on Harry Kane signing with Bayern Munich and the large popularity of of Dortmund in the US, I really think that the Bundesliga needs a better TV deal after the current deal is up and needs to leave ESPN in order to do so. This is where Warner Brothers uh, Discovery uh, could come into the picture, I think, for two reasons. Um, Midweek, midweek, which frees up uh, TNT and TBS to air uh, Bundesliga matches. Uh, secondly, uh, Max needs sports um, in order to grow the number of subscribers, and the Bundesliga is the perfect property for that. If Warner Brothers Discovery isn't still uh, isn't still cash strapped by the time the rights are up for bid, they should bid on the Bundesliga. Uh, in my view, uh, yeah, I, I still think Warner Brothers Discovery is still. I mean, Disco- that, that, that Discovery is a huge, huge uh, corporation. But um, there's been so many cutbacks, and 
I just don't see them piling on any cash for the Bundesliga, especially if Apple is, is in discussions. Yeah, if Apple's in discussions, that changes the game. But the Bundesliga is the one package maybe you could acquire without a lot of cash, right? I mean, ESPN didn't pay much for it uh, compared to – that's another thing, Bundesliga versus La Liga. They pay uh, by exponentially more for, for La Liga rights uh, per year. So um, if you break it down per year uh, – so maybe uh, it's a possibility. They do need content, but yes, discovery post merger, they're really cash strapped, as you mentioned. Yeah, two more comments to go. Uh, first up is Greg, and this is in regards to the discussion about uh, the critique of ESPN by one of um, one of our listeners who responded in the listener mailbag, saying like, "Hey, what's what's your deal with ESPN? Why do you love their coverage so much of, of the World Cup?" Uh, Greg says, yeah, hard disagree about the critique of ESPN, or at least ESPN's general record. As Kartik and Chris note, their World Cup coverage was great. I'd also add that their Euro coverage was superb. Lately, it's fine. Um, uh, Alejandro Moreno is annoying, yes, but the main on-air talent for La Liga and Bundesliga is great. From Derek Ray, Ian Dark, Archie Rintut, Sid Lowe, and the other pitch-side pundits for La Liga. I do agree that they could do much better with hyping Bundesliga on social media and even La Liga. Both of those leagues and ESPN need to look at ESPN uh, and the and the Premier League for how to hype a league on social media. Kartik, it's been a few weeks since we did the last episode, which was, was focused on the Bundesliga and how ESPN really needs to just basically take the bull by its horns and really push the Bundesliga here. Because with Harry Kane joining, this is a huge opportunity Three weeks later, um, what's your thoughts? What have they done differently, if anything? Nothing. And uh, they have Leverkusen and Bayern this coming. We're we're taping this on a Sunday, so six days from now. A match uh, between uh, the top two clubs in the league. you got Harry Kane on one side. you got Xavi Alonso, very marketable manager on the other side, uh, doing wonderful things at Leverkusen, really changing Leverkusen. Uh, So... This is an opportunity that matches on ESPN Plus, not on linear, unfortunately. And I, I know how difficult it is during college football season. We've talked about college football a couple of times today uh, for, for any of these games to show up on linear. But uh, this is an opportunity. Let's see what they do the next week. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I wonder, though, if, if ESPN thinks, okay, they're not going to renew these rights or, the, or they're going to lose them anyway. And so why why bother investing um, trying to make it bigger in the U.S. If if that's part of it, or if the other part of it is just basically is that they're they don't have the finger on their pulse. That they're so focused on La Liga, that they're so focused on trying to recoup uh, recoup some of the money, that, uh, massive amounts of money that they paid for it. That they that they still feel that they have to continue pushing that big time, um, and with limited results, it's, it it appears to be so. Yeah, it's really just disappointing. I think from the Bundesliga, uh, from ESPN's perspective, that they aren't taking advantage of this opportunity. Just yesterday, I was at a local soccer store. I mean, to buying different kits and things like that. And there's a couple of kids in there talking about that they were Harry Kane fans. That they were actually Spurs supporters, but Harry Kane was was their idol. That was their hero. And I'm sure those kids would probably. I mean, we'll probably, well, I don't know. I mean, will they be watching now Harry Kane in the Bundesliga, watching him as, as, as every game? In the Champions League, yes, I'm sure. But when it comes to, I mean, if Spurs is playing at the same time as Bayern Munich, 
which one do they go for? And, and it's probably Spurs. Spurs is the the, the bigger at- attachment, the club versus player. But um, yeah, really disappointing from ESPN here that they haven't done anything as far as I can tell. Last but not least, uh, we have a question from Robert. And Robert says, it is generally believed that 75% to 85% of the explanation for sporting results is about the money you put into the first team squad. If this is true, how do you explain Chelsea's and Man United's money spent versus the results? And and I think a lot of this comes down to uh, Soconomics, um, the really kind of popular, famous book that was published many years ago about uh, the clubs that do the best in the different leagues um, spend the most money on players. And I think for Chelsea and Man United, um, honestly, I, I don't have any sympathy for Todd Bowley and the money he has spent or really wasted. But generally, clubs don't spend as badly as Chelsea has done. Um, so I, th- I think in many ways, to me, that's a an outlier. I mean, you have somebody that's spending just enormous, I mean, what, over a billion pounds in, in, in money to buy all these players that it's almost like he's watching YouTube uh, highlight clips and, and buying it based on that. And you have a, a dysfunctional team that's not really working together. You're still missing a, a star striker. I mean, you have all of these excess players and just, I mean, just a probably a case study for how not to run a football club. Um, so Chelsea, I think, is the, is the outlier. But for United, I think to me, they're, I mean, the, the current holders of the, of the League Cup in England. Um, but yes, they've spent uh, unwisely also, but not as badly as uh, Chelsea. And we'll see how United does this season. Maybe they'll, they'll finish um, in the top four again. But to answer that, so much, I know uh, this is a very kind of um, Americanized critique of European football because uh, we have salary caps and all these kind of mitigating factors in sports outside of baseball. Uh, Baseball has a luxury tax and baseball is competitive, even though they don't have, in fact, baseball, I I don't follow the NFL at all, so I don't know, but I understand, from my understanding, baseball is more competitive than the NFL, uh, even though they don't have all these restrictions and and, and even restrictions on marketing that NFL franchises have. Um, But um, in the case of the spending in Europe, you hit a point of diminishing returns, right? If you spend so much money, um, at some point, it doesn't matter. You're spending that much more, but everybody is spending money. So while I think it affects other leagues, it affects the Bundesliga that Bayern has unlimited resources compared to the rest of the league. It affects La Liga that uh, that the three clubs, uh, although Atleti's had to pull back a little bit on their spending, but the, the three clubs there have more money. Italy, same, same sort of thing. In England, all the clubs have so much money now, th- thanks to television, uh, the TV deals, and other things uh, in how that league uh, uh, divides revenue, that I think you've hit a point of diminishing returns where scouting and having a settled squad matters more. So uh, there's a clear system and DNA in how Manchester City and Liverpool play. I know Liverpool slipped a little last season. I think they're going to be back at the top this year. And so they're signing players based on the way they play, the, their manager, their their squad. So even though both those clubs, particularly City, spend a lot of money, their money is probably better spent than the Uniteds and the Chelsea, which are just haphazardly doing things. Same thing with a club like Brighton, who we've mentioned before earlier today. Their scouting is superior. They they took advantage of the changes in the work permit rules and started scouting Latin America uh, and South America in particular better than anyone else in the league, better than even Manchester City and Liverpool, who I'm, who I'm mentioning. So um, 
that because they still have a base uh, line amount of money that they're spending. That plus they, plus they have a system. Plus they have a system, right? A clear system, right. clear way of playing um, matters more than <clears throat> the excuse me, uh, the one point one billion dollars that that Chelsea spent. So I think we have to understand in other European leagues. Uh, the teams that spend the most are going to win the most. In England, I don't think it's necessarily the case anymore because there's so much money being spent that everybody is spending. Right, definitely. Good point, Psychotic. So th- th- let's wrap it up in, in terms of uh, listeners. If you do want to uh, share any questions you have or any feedback, we'd love to f- hear from you and we'd love to read those out or play those out in, in uh, future episodes. There's a bunch of different ways you can get in touch with us. Uh, one of them is uh, leave a voicemail. And that number is in the US, 561-247-4625. You can send us an email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can send us a message on Twitter, which is uh, at worldsoccertalk. If you mention it for the podcast, that'll make it easier. And then uh, facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can leave a message there. And then last but not least, um, the website, worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, just click on podcasts and then leave a, a comment in the last uh, episode. And and then also YouTube, youtube.com slash World Soccer Talk. Um, most of our episodes are released there too. And you can uh, go ahead and post a comment there too. Kartik, so, um, so I've started reading your book, which is really good. The new one about uh, Florida and the role in uh, American history. What's the name of it uh, and where can people buy it uh, if they're interested? Yeah, it's Florida and the American Revolution. Uh, it focuses on Florida's role in that conflict, uh, staying loyal to the British. So the reason why Florida has been cut out of the American history narrative is because uh, Florida was a Spanish colony when the 13 colonies to the north were British. And then once Florida became a British colony, it it, it stayed loyal to the crown during the American Revolution, uh, while the 13 colonies to the north of us uh, all uh, all fought on the Patriot side, uh, various factions, but uh, just to make it simple. And uh, what's really fascinating about this is um, In doing the research for the book, I learned so much about how the British interacted with Native Americans and African Americans, uh, uh, free and uh, enslaved African Americans, and learned uh, a lot in terms of uh, not realizing before this that the vast majority of Native Americans and the vast majority of African Americans that took up arms in that conflict fought on the British side, which is kind of complicates our views of history and freedom and all of that stuff. But um, it's not a political, it's not a book written with a political agenda. I say plenty of positive things about the American patriots and negative things about the British also, but really focuses on Florida's roles, the battles here, the politics here, why Florida stayed loyal to the British crown. Uh, Religion was one of the factors. There were more Catholics in Florida, a higher percentage of Catholics than in the 13 colonies to the north. Uh, You can buy it on Amazon. Kindle and paperback, uh, what we're finding with this, Chris, which I shocked me, it's the opposite of what I thought. Uh, very few, uh, sold very few copies on Kindle have sold a ton of paperbacks. So I don't know if that means people are going back to physically reading books rather than uh, yeah, ebooks. Uh, I, my preference is kind of back and forth, so I, I kind of understand it, but that's uh, kind of shocked me. I don't know if that's something that, that affects what we do on a daily basis, but have sold probably at this point six or seven times as many book uh, physical paperback books than ebooks uh, on this particular title. 
Yeah, that's great news. That's really good news. And uh, we ran out of time, actually. I was going to talk more about uh, about Wrexham and Welcome to Wrexham as far as my experience uh, in the town. I'll probably save that for another episode. Uh, we did interview uh, Humphrey Carr, who's the uh, club executive director at Wrexham, uh, really the person responsible for introducing Rob McElhenney to, to soccer uh, and ultimately to, to Wrexham. Um, so we'll, I'll save that for another but, but episode. Real quick, real quickly Go on ahead. this, though, I, I yeah. want to say, Chris, uh, for all those people who complain that we're constantly talking about Rexome and not about other things, um, the the marketing of this thing is so good and their engagement with media is so good. You've had so much access, you and Kyle, to do in- interviews around the club. I have gotten uh, better media uh, packets and better media uh, engagement from FX than I do from networks that actually broadcast soccer matches. FX around uh, airing FX, by the way, is owned by Disney now. It's not owned by Fox anymore. Uh, FX around airing this uh, this series. So um, there is also a reason these things matter uh, and how you engage with media. This is just a, a kind of a, a hint for for other outlets. How you engage with media does affect the perception and how we cover you. Uh, for better or for worse. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a, that's a great point because, uh, I mean, that media access and having the ability to speak with them helps us tell their story. Um, and as opposed to other organizations or other clubs where it's a lot more restrictive and it feels like you're having to fight just to get the opportunity for for any access to be able to tell that story. That, that That's a great point there, Kartik. Um, both, both you and I also have uh, PR backgrounds and experience there too. So, right. <laughs> so we can we appreciate it more. Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. When it's done right, it's 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 such a huge difference. Uh, and then, contact before we go, definitely uh, beyond the ninety. What's what's going on there? Yeah, a lot of coverage again of, of lower division uh, soccer. I want to do something deeper on Pastacoglu, who we talked about earlier in this show. But again, it would probably require 45 minutes of just talking about uh, the way he inverts the fullbacks and the way uh, uh, Busuma gets into the attack. And it's just like I haven't found the time to actually just do that. But I want to write something on Spurs this week and then also um, a lot of transfer coverage. Uh, Now that that's over, we can actually focus on football. Absolutely. All right, Kartik, on behalf of everyone at World Soccer Talk, uh, thank you, uh, listeners, for listening to this show. And then, Kartik, what are you going to do this week and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football.